couple weeks ago, we talked about the fact that, uh, uh, that who the Holy Spirit was and is. He is the third person in, the, in our triune Godhead. Uh, the Lord, our God, is what? He is one. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit operating together. We discussed that. I would encourage you that if you've missed the last two weeks and you're just showing up today and, and finding out what's going on, make sure you go to the website and you listen to the last two weeks. Um, or if you don't have that access, order the CDs and we'll try to get them to you as quickly as we can. Uh, also, if you have uh, an iTunes account, you can subscribe to the, uh, the podcast and you can find them on there too. So want to make sure that you get this. Week one was foundational to week two. Week two is foundational to this week. And, uh, and so you, you want to keep building. We've got probably at least a couple more weeks we're going to talk on some things. Um, but right now, we, since we're back in school, we've got to have a pop quiz. And today I didn't bring suckers. I brought something even better, Jolly Ranchers. <laughs> Who can name me one of the five encounters of the Holy Spirit that we talked about last week? Everybody's looking for their notes right now. One of the five. If you don't use your notes, you're really special. Gail. Regeneration, yes. What color do you want? You want blue or, or red? There you go. Regeneration, that was actually number two on the list. Does anybody know any of the others? One of the five. Regeneration is gone. Linda. Convicting, that was number one. You want blue or you want red? Huh? Red? Uh-oh, the reds are going quick. So convicting, regeneration, there's three more left. Who knows them? Empowering. Empowering. Michelle didn't raise her hand, but I'll get what one you want. Blue, of course. All right, we got a blue and a red left. Two more left. So we've, we've had empowering, we've had convicting, we've had regeneration. There's two left. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Very good. Which one do you want? Don't matter to you? Well, then close your eyes and pick one because you've got to take one. So we've got conviction, we've got regeneration, we've got the indwelling, we've got the empowering. What is the next one? Maturity. Maturity. Mr. Mycroft killing it from the second row. All I got left is watermelon, buddy. That's right. Nice almost catch, Patrick. Yeah, <laughs> softball team with two losses this last week. Patrick, we'll sign you up, buddy. <laughs> We have, uh, we have those five encounters. Now, last week we covered four of those really well. Conviction, regeneration, and dwelling of the Holy Spirit, and maturing of the Holy Spirit. Obviously, uh, conviction is the, the Spirit drawing us, the Lord drawing us to Him, the Father drawing us to Christ. Uh, the uh, regeneration process works in connection with the indwelling of the Spirit. He does the work internally in us cleansing us, washing us, and that happens as the Spirit indwells us at salvation. Maturity, the fruit of the Spirit, begins to develop in our lives uh, through a sanctification process. So we focused on those four, and today we're going to really focus on number five, which is the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Now, the first four, uh, obviously leaving my teaching hat on today, and that's just kind of what we're doing, but the first four uh, is something that interdenominationally we all agree upon really easily. Um, it's, it's pretty clear in Scripture as far as the Holy Spirit with conviction, as far as regeneration, Jesus crediting the Holy Spirit with that, the conversation Jesus had with Nicodemus, all of those things that were in your notes last week, 
as well as the fact that the Spirit indwells us. We see that in the Old Testament with the, the temple and the tabernacle and that Paul's saying that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He indwells us. All of the Old Testament prophets saying that He will be in you and all of those things. Scripturally sound, we agree upon that. We agree upon the maturing process of the Holy Spirit. We agree upon the fact that the fruit of the Spirit is developed in our lives. Sanctification is a process that goes throughout our entire life that we become more and more like Christ from glory to glory to glory, so on and so forth. So we agree upon those very well, but when you get down to the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, this is, this is where everybody kind of freaks out because the first four are mostly internal and number five is very external. The first four are very inward working, life changing, but number five is purposeful. That God now is propelling us from a place of receiving to a place of giving and moving in His will and His honor and in His glory. So, so this is an area where people get confused, where people begin to argue and bicker about the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives, what's limited to and what is not limited to, and, and so on and so forth. So I just want to kind of focus on that today, if you will let me. Jesus, when He spoke to the disciples about the Holy Spirit, said a couple of different things. First in John 14, 16, and 17... He said, and I will ask the Father and He will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept Him because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him for He lives with you and will be in you. This is a really important statement that if we can just place ourselves in that moment with Jesus talking to His disciples, the world doesn't see Him. They don't see Him because there's going to come a time where this Spirit of Christ is going to come upon us, going to be in us, and the world is not going to see it. They're not going to receive Him and understand who He is. But look at that. It says, but you know Him, for He lives with you. Everybody say, with you. At this point in that state of history there where those disciples had not yet received and had been indwelled with the Holy Spirit, and I'll say indwelled today because uh, um, uh, Penny, your daughter, I have, to, I, have to, I have to slap your daughter, Penny. She told me, indwelt is not a word. Litany. I said, Litany, you go off and get that great education. You come here and insult your pastor. She said, but indwelt is not a past tense word of indwell, pastor. I said, I don't care. I like saying indwelt with a T. <laughs> Love those kids, man. Indwelled. The Spirit had not indwelled them at that point. Uh, but he was with them. What, who was with him? Christ was with them. Amen? Amen? The Lord our God, the Lord is one. He's with them and they know him. The Spirit is not somebody to be afraid of because he's with you. You know him. You know who Christ is. He carries the same characteristics and nature of God, but he will be in you. So Jesus is laying the foundation work for them for this indwelling that was going to take place. But prior to the cross, the Spirit lived with the disciples and would be in them. John 14, verses 26 and 27, When the Counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me, and you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. So Jesus is talking about two different things. He's talking about the indwelling, and then he's talking about the power, uh, the Spirit, when he comes upon them. He will testify of Christ, and now there's an expectation that they too would turn and do what? Testify. Something verbal, something vocal, the Spirit of God coming upon them, in them, upon them, and them testifying of what Christ has done and who Christ is. 
Uh, so the indwelling of the baptism, uh, the indwelling and the baptism of the Spirit are two different events that occur, but bring about one purpose to equip us personally and supernaturally for the Great Commission. Now, the Spirit will always enable natural man to do supernatural things. We see this all through the Scripture. Natural men that do supernatural things. Let me just name some of them for you. People like Gideon. Natural guy, uh, scared to death, uh, threshing wheat away from the enemies, hoping that they don't come and steal his food. Called by God. Samson, natural man, extremely natural man. He's, he's, a, he's more of a man than any of them, isn't he? Natural man with natural manly lusts and issues that he dealt with, and yet God empowered him to do a work, right? Think of Moses, the greatest prophet of the Old Testament. And we're going to focus on Moses here in just a little bit. But all of these people, every single one of them, that when the Spirit came upon them, there was a reason, there was a purpose for it. There was a work that had to be done. God said, I have a work that needs to be done. He invited man to join him in that work. He enabled man to do that work. And then man would go and complete the work for God's glory. That was the process of the Old Testament. Am I in the book? Does that make sense? That's pretty simple, isn't it? The reason I think that what I just said is very important is the fact that people in Pentecostal circles have sought and begged for the baptism of the Holy Spirit or the coming upon of the Holy Spirit with the purpose of placing their experience into some supernatural trophy case to be pulled out and put on display occasionally. What did I just say? What I just said was, is that the problem is with, with our culture today is that there's been enough misteaching. Okay, there's been enough poor doctrine. People want to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but not because they want to be empowered to do the works of God. They want to have good services. They want to show up and they want to show their trophies and not live it. I'm not saying anybody here is doing it. I'm just saying I've been raised in Pentecost, okay? I've seen the good, bad, and the ugly. I myself, at an early age, was baptized in the Holy Spirit with this mindset of saying, okay, now I can speak in tongues and I've got what I'm supposed to get as though it's some kind of a level of superiority over somebody else. But I had no idea the reason or purpose for it. You see, God's purpose and plan for us is not to be baptized in the Holy Spirit so that now we can hold a deacon position at the church. God's purpose of us being baptized in the Holy Spirit is so that we would go outside these walls and that we would be harvesters for His kingdom. You see, everybody says, Pastor, we, oh, we used to have good services all the time before I was pastor. Listen, I, I enjoy good service. Amen? But here's the opinion of a lot of different people. A lot of people have an opinion of what a good service looks like. Some people say good service is when it's 15 minutes long. And I can get out of here. And I can beat the Baptist to the beef house. That's a good service. Other people say service is really good when there's a lot of activity. When there's yelling and shouting and running. That's a good service. This teaching stuff you're doing, Pastor, I don't know if that's good services. You want to know what I think is good services? 
I think the fact that the last couple of weeks, I've just simply stood up here and talked to you like we're sitting at a dinner table having a conversation, and I've shared with you the truth of God's Word, and over the last two weeks, I've had so many people come to me and tell me what God is doing in their lives, and the fact that God was working and doing this and this, and they're speaking to people, and they're ministering to people, and then last week, we had, I think, 10 or 12 visitors here today, here, last week. You want to know what a good service is? That's a good service, because somebody's being a harvester. Somebody is looking at the fields white with harvest and saying, wow, I can actually impact somebody else. It's not internally focused alone. You hear what I'm saying? I like activity. I like, I like passionate worship. I love intense prayer times and altar times. But folks, listen, a good service isn't when we're only focused internally. A good service is when suddenly we become inspired and impassioned to look outside of ourselves and begin to minister to the lost. Amen? So the purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not, even though in Pentecostal circles the mentality is, is if we have the Holy Spirit, our services are way better. Now they should be. Right? Anytime the power of God is on display, shouldn't the services be a little bit more interesting, Pam? Huh? Shouldn't they? Just keeping you awake, Pam. Okay, good. She says, just quit pointing me out, Pastor. <laughs> Listen, when the power of God is moving, it's going to be a good service. But the power of God isn't just moving so that people can come and say, wow, what a good service. The power of God is moving to empower the people to go do something. There is a purpose of the power of God coming upon us, but I dare say it is more to being a witness to the lost, ministering to those in need than it does to do with good services. So before anyone gets mad, I'm not against the use of the gifts in the service. We just had a very intense use of the gifts of this service in this service was very effective. Um, I'm not against that. We're going to talk about the use of them in, the, in a service setting in a couple of weeks, but, but there is a purpose in that we would be put together with God's mission and to testify of Christ. So the Holy Spirit power and availability was different in the Old Testament than it is today. Now, the, the rule of thumb, if you look at the Old Testament and you start reading about the power of the Holy Spirit and about the Spirit coming upon people and doing great works in the Old Testament, the rule of thumb is this. They're either king, priest, judge, or prophet. Four. And in the, in the Old Testament, if you looked and counted, you'll find where there, the Holy Spirit came upon less than 100 people that it named. So you're looking at over that long thousand-year period that the Bible, that Bible only claims or only names about 93 different people that the Holy Spirit came upon that did mighty works. So that's all again. Kings, priests, judges, and prophets. The Holy Spirit came on them for a specific and very defined work. People will tell us because we're Pentecostal that we've taken this Holy Spirit thing too far. But it's, it's blown out of context. But if you will look with me throughout the entire scripture, this is not a new thing that I'm talking to you about. This is not a new gift. It was a gift that was given by God that He's enwrapped for us all the way through the Old Testament and all the way through the New Testament, all the way through the, the, the epistles of Paul, the, the prison letters, all of these things that we look through in the Scripture, we'll see it's a gift that the Lord unwraps for us from the very beginning. It's always been God's plan. 
People say, Pastor, I just I think you're crazy. I think you've I think you've overemphasized this. Well, I, I want to talk to you about Moses for just a minute. Moses, we all know how he was called. We all know the story how Moses went into Egypt, sent by God, and he's told to go in and to set his people free, right? That's what he did. So he went in, signs and wonders took place, and, and God delivered him. But he goes goes out into the wilderness after he crosses the Red Sea and the manna from heaven and the quail and all this stuff. But Numbers 11, Moses complains to God. Have you ever ridden in a car with a complainer before? God has too. (laughs) He said, Moses, here's what I'm doing. I'm going to take you along for the ride. And Moses got mad. Verse 14, I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you are going to treat me, put me to death right now if I have found favor in your eyes, and do not let me face my own ruin. I like how he throws in, if, if, if I found favor. First, kill me, but wait a second, I want to be sure where I'm headed. <laughs> only kill me if you love me. I, I wish my kids would tell me that sometimes. Dad, only kill me if you love me. I love you to death, I'm telling you. The Lord said to Moses, bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Make them come to the tent of meeting that they may stay there with you. I will come down and speak with you there, and I will take of the Spirit that is on you and put the Spirit on them. They will help you carry the burden of the people so that you will not have to carry it alone. So Moses needed help. Please kill me, Lord. And the Lord does something really precious here. Folks, have you ever been discouraged before? Man, listen, if you've been discouraged, don't hate yourself for it. Moses got discouraged. And Moses talked to the Lord as you would a man. I mean, Moses was, I mean, he, he walked off of the mountain with a glowing face. That's pretty cool. He still got discouraged. Listen, discouragement comes in life. But here, here's the cool principle that God showed Moses. I'm going to raise people up for you. I'm going to raise people up for you. Don't, don't get discouraged. In your workplace, if you've got issues, man, just begin to believe God for, for him to raise people up. Begin to pour, pour into people with love because he's going to raise them up. Verse 24, so Moses went out and told the people what the Lord had said. He brought together 70 of their elders and made them stand around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke with him, and he took of the spirit that was on him and put the spirit on the 70 elders. When the spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but they did not do so again. However, two men whose names were Eldad and Medad, which I assume they were brothers, Eldad and Medad, anyway, Uh, It's a joke, folks. It's not really. (laughs) Had remained in the camp, they were listed among the elders, but did not go out to the tent. Yet the Spirit also rested on them, and they prophesied in the camp. A young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Joshua, son of Nun, who had been Moses' assistant since youth, spoke up and said, Moses, my Lord, stop them. But Moses replied, Are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord would put His Spirit on them. Do you hear what Moses just did? Moses, who talked to God as one would talk to a man, somehow captured the Father's heart. And he begins to prophetically make a statement that was God's plan all along. Just because Eldad and Medad was somewhere else, busy. You want to know something, what your pastor believes? You don't always have to be here at church to get touched and blessed and baptized and filled and ministered to by the Holy Spirit. 
Sometimes you can be in the busyness of life and requirements and regulations of life. Sometimes there's things you have to be doing and you just can't make it there as bad as you would like to. Maybe you're homesick. Maybe you're shut in. Maybe you're in a nursing home. Maybe you had to be at work. Listen, seek the Lord. Amen? That's a little word to us in the vacation season, isn't it? The Lord can still fill you in your camper. Where's all them holy crosses always camping all the time? The Lord can still fill you by the beach. The Lord can do a work in you as you're laying in your bed just resting for the day. The Lord can do a work in you while you're at work. Yes, even if you're forced to work on a Sunday. God is good. And all the time? So we see two consistent recurring stages in people being empowered. Stage one is the Spirit coming upon them. Stage two is that they begin to speak prophetically, inspired to say things that they are not conjuring up in their own understanding. We see this in verse 25. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke with them, and He took of the Spirit that was on Him and put the Spirit on the 70 elders. When the Spirit rested on them, they prophesied. The natural reaction of the Spirit coming upon somebody is a verbal prophesying of what God is doing. Now what they were not doing, some people say, well, they were speaking prophecy. They were not speaking prophecy in the sense that suddenly everybody began to tell the future. You know, we hear prophecy, we think of fortune tellers. They began to prophesy. In other words, they weren't foretelling, they were forthtelling. They were speaking forth God's word. They were speaking forth what the Lord was saying. Remember, Jesus said to the apostles, the spirit will testify about me and you also will do what? Testify. And then when the power comes upon you, you will be what? My witnesses. This is the purpose of the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not just to speak in tongues. It's not just to get some kind of a level of of accomplishment in the church. It really is to empower us to go and to speak God's words. That's why that word this morning was perfect. I said, Lord, prophesy through me today. Joshua was upset that 70 people had received instead of him. But Moses said, I would rather that all of God's people prophesy. Moses was the greatest prophet in the Old Testament. And he grasped this. It was God's will from the very beginning to tear down the distinction between the leadership class and the ordinary Joe. Now you say, why is that? Because anytime we look at this, we see judge, we see priest, we see, ju- uh, I'm sorry, we see king, priest, judge, and prophet. That's not ordinary Joe, right? Those are leaders. And yet we see here where God is placing his spirit on more ordinary people for leadership for Moses. And then the prophet Joel says something really cool in chapter 2, 28 through 29. And afterwards, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. This is Old Testament. This is Old Testament. This is somebody under the leading of the Holy Spirit speaking the heart of our God. Moses prophesied it because he had captured the heart of God. Joel now is prophesying it clearer and he's telling us what it's going to look like. Afterwards meaning what? Meaning after judgment comes on Israel and after Jesus comes, he's going to pour out on all mankind his spirit. Sons, daughters, male, female, so on and so forth. What Joel is saying is, guys, there's coming a day. I'm breaking down the barriers. It's no longer just going to be 93 people named in Scripture. It's going to be everybody that comes and asks. 
It's going to be everybody, every ordinary Joe, even whether he breaks up all the distinction lines, even the men from the women. Ladies, the Holy Spirit has been given to you so that you may prophesy. Hallelujah! Empowered to do His work. It even breaks up age barriers, young and old. Yes, our young people can be empowered by the Holy Spirit to prophesy. And you know, anyone that says our old, that means we don't just have to go to a retirement home and quit. Amen? You're not old and washed up and useless. You've got wisdom. You've got knowledge. You've got experience. You've got understanding. These kids and I need that. Prophesy to us. And it's not just talking about normal dreams. It's talking about the works of a prophet. Visions. Visionary dreams. God-given dreams. God-given words. Why? Joel in the Old Testament cast the vision where suddenly all of mankind are hearing it saying, surely not. Seriously? Wow. That's going to be cool. And yet we look at this and we see those two stages. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Stage one, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Stage two, prophetic confirmation, spirit-led speech. Now, some of you that have been around Pentecost a long time, you already see where all of this is heading. And you say, Pastor, why don't you just say it and wrap it up? Because there's a lot of people in this room that hadn't heard none of this stuff before. So I'm going to be super thorough, and you'll probably be sick of it, but we're all going to be very well educated on it by the time we're done with it. So, from the time of Joel until Jesus, John the baptizer gives us a hint of how this is all going to happen. Luke, Luke 3.16, John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, John starts to say, look, we're starting to see a picture. Now, now, now Joel, Moses spoke of it. Joel promised it. Joel told us what it was going to look like. And, and John says, it's not coming through me, but I can tell you it is coming through one after me. It's near. It's really close. There's one coming after me who's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, let me ask you this. Who is John talking to in that passage? Was he talking to Pharisees? Was he talking to Sadducees? Was he talking to just leaders, kings, judges, priests? No. He was talking to ordinary, everyday people who had left their city to go hear a crazy man prophesy to them. He wasn't a crazy man. He just looked like one, and I'm going to guess that he smelled like one. He lived in the wilderness and he ate locusts and wild honey and he wore camel's hair. That'd be nasty. <laughs> However, prophet of God, whom Jesus said, no man greater has been born on this earth than John. So let me, let me just share this with you. John says, I'm not him, but he's coming and then Jesus in Luke 24, 49 says, I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Jesus said, I am the baptizer. I'm the one John spoke of. You see, they can understand what it means to be clothed with power from on high because they had the Old Testament. They had those scriptures. They knew what happened to Gideon. They knew what happened to Samson when the power of God came upon him. They knew and understood what happened to Moses. They knew what happened with Isaiah and, and Elijah and Elisha. They knew and understood what the power of God clothing me means. We get that. 
And Jesus said, you will be clothed with power from on high. So let's look at a holistic view of how God has always called his prophets. As we look at who was involved, what they experienced, you're going to find that there's a specific pattern that God has used throughout all of Scripture. This pattern is this. They hear supernatural sounds. They see supernatural things. Okay? And they speak supernaturally directed words. All throughout the Old Testament, and we're going to compare this with Acts chapter 2 here in just a minute too, but, but let's just look about it. Look at it. Every prophet or every judge, or anybody that was ever called of God, was 100% ordinary, everyday Joe, before the Spirit came upon them and ushered them into leadership. Okay? That, that's just how they were. That's how David was. That's how Saul was. That's how each one of them was when the Spirit came upon them. So let's just look at Moses. Moses was the prophet. He saw God, Exodus 3-2, saw the Lord as flames of fire. He heard... God speak to him. Exodus 3, 4, God spoke to Moses. Exodus 3, 5 and 4, 1 through 12. He felt holy ground and he saw signs. Okay, he saw things. He experienced things. He felt things. Exodus 4, 12. Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. That's what the Lord said to Moses. So he, he saw supernatural things. He heard supernatural things. He felt supernatural things. And he was empowered to speak supernatural things. You say, Pastor, ah, 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 ah. Don't you speak in tongues at me. Just kidding. Um, what happened was, you're saying, Pastor Aaron, Moses refused and Aaron had to go speak. Exactly right. But God was going to fix Moses. All he had to do was trust the Lord with his speech. Go back and read it. See if I'm wrong. But instead, Moses chose to have Aaron come with him in any way, and the Lord provided for that. But there was an expectation that he was going to speak prophetically. Let me ask you this. Did Moses speak prophetically to Pharaoh? Yes. 100% yes. Nobody goes there and says, the Lord says, and doesn't speak, speak prophetically, and the things happen. It did. Isaiah. Isaiah 6.1. Isaiah saw the Lord. Isaiah 6, 8, God spoke, whom shall I send? He heard the Lord speak. Isaiah 6, 7, his lips touched with the coal. Remember, he said, I'm a man of unclean lips, and his lips were touched with the coal. Isaiah 6, 9, he was empowered to speak. Go and tell this people. The plan of God is always this process where he's going to, we're going to experience his presence, we're going to respond to him, and then there's a plan for us to go and do something. Ezekiel, Ezekiel 1, 1 through 2, forget that 8, don't know where that came from or what it's for. That's in your notes. I messed that up. Saul detailed visions of God. Ezekiel saw things. Saul saw uh, the visions of the Lord. Ezekiel 1, 3, the word of the Lord came to him. He heard the word of the Lord. Ezekiel 1, 28 through 2, 2, he fell down and he said this, that the Spirit entered him. The Spirit entered him. Ezekiel 3, 4, the instruction from the Lord, go now to the house of Israel and speak my words to them. So are we seeing this pattern here? There's a, there's a pretty clear pattern there. Now let's look with this in mind. Let's look and see what happens in Acts 2, 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Wow, never saw it quite like that before. The commissioning 
of the new prophets, the apostles, the leaders, to all who are willing to hear, as Peter clarifies that here in just a minute. So let's stop. Who is this? Who is this that's in that upper room? There's 120 people. Who are they? Well, we have some ideas in Scripture who it is, uh, but ultimately we don't know who all of them are. We do know they were Galileans according to Scripture, uh, but I can tell you this, they're ordinary people, everyday people, people from all walks of life. And if they're Galileans, Galilee was not a ritzy area. It was kind of backwoodsy. A little bit hillbilly. A little bit like us from Indiana. I'm not sure. I may have met some guys named Eldad and Medad before. I don't know. So what happened? These are the new commissioned prophets. They saw what seemed to be tongues or flames of fire that separated and came down to rest on each head. They saw this. Now, it wasn't real fire. If it was, afterward, they all looked like this. <laughs> the hair's gone. You know what I'm saying? You touch hair to fire. I was a welder for a long time. You always knew when hair was on fire because you go, <laughs> stinks. But it wasn't real fire. It, was, it seemed as fire. It seemed to be tongues of fire. Now, why is this important? It's important for them to see this, this presence of God rest on them because all throughout the Old Testament, all the scripture that they understood, how did God always present himself? Well, let's think about Moses. When he saw the burning bush, what was it? Fire. When, when there was a pillar of a cloud by day and a pillar of what at night? When Moses was up on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments, the mountain looked like what? Fire. Anytime you see God described, the Shekinah glory of God, the God's presence, it was always fire. And that's how it was described. It wasn't a fire. It was something that appeared almost as fire. There was a presence that lowered itself on them. And it was important for them to see that there was the fire so that they understood this is the Lord. This is the Lord our God. This is what Jesus said was coming. This is God. You say, Pastor, when we get baptized in the Spirit today, we don't see fire. We don't have to. That fire was a very clear representation to those people in that room. This is God. It's been done for us. We don't have to see it again. It's been made clear to us. We know that it's the Lord. Secondly, they heard the sound of a violent wind. Now, uh, this wasn't some kind of a weird, uh, scary movie uh, spirit experience where they're in the room and goes, ah, and the wind starts blowing through the room. There was no wind, okay? It, they heard a sound. Just because they heard a sound doesn't mean there was wind. They heard a sound like a wind. Now, now, anytime we look through the scripture, we talk about the voice of God being booming, being loud. The children of Israel were afraid of it. There's uh, times where it's a voice of many waters and things of that nature, folks. This is God breathing into the room with his voice, the presence of God upon them. It was, it was a sound. They couldn't explain the sound. They compared it to a mighty rushing violent wind, but it wasn't wind. It was a sound. But we know that they saw supernatural things. They heard supernatural things. And then lastly, they were empowered. I'm sorry. When the fire rested on them, they, they experienced the presence of, God, of the Holy Spirit coming upon them. This was something just like uh, Ezekiel said. The Spirit came into me. You know. It's felt. There's a, there's a presence now. Before you start getting freaky out, oh my goodness, oh, there's a spirit coming inside of me. There's a spirit coming inside of me. Let, me. let me ask you this. On the day you got saved, 
The Spirit indwelled you. Was that weird and scary? Everybody say, no, that was amazing. I loved everybody. I just wanted to hug everybody. It was so great. (sighs) Well, listen, that's the same as the Holy Spirit coming upon you for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's not different. It's the same Spirit. It's the same presence. It's the same God, okay? This is not a bad feeling. It's not a scary thing. It's just the Spirit of God coming upon us and filling us and overflowing us. So that, that, is, that is a good thing. Uh, lastly, they were empowered with supernatural, God-given speech. Now, they did speak in tongues, and we're going to focus uh, the week after next completely on how tongues ties into all this stuff, okay? We're going to bring a lot of clarity into that. But... They spoke in tongues, but it was for a prophetic purpose, okay? They spoke in tongues, and the nations that were gathered heard them as speaking in their own language. Then, and then after that, Peter stands up, and he goes, Hey, I'm going to bring some clarity to this. And he began to testify, and he began to speak supernaturally. You tell me, based on what we know about Peter, was he speaking supernaturally? Yes, because just before, Peter was afraid, right? Remember? Fearful, kind of like Gideon, threshing behind somewhere, please don't hide me, you know what I mean? And Peter, denying the Lord and hiding, now suddenly, full of the Spirit, steps up and begins to prophesy and speak. So, 3,000 were saved that day. That, my friends, is what I call a good service. (laughs) Amen? When 3,000 people show up and get saved in one day, I would say the Holy Spirit was involved in that process. That's a good service. So, uh, some would say the Old Testament doesn't talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but here we have Peter who steps up immediately after that event, and he uses Joel's prophecy to confirm a New Testament event. Amen? So it's not something new. It's not something that the Pentecostals just came up with. It's not something that happened in, in 1913 or 1912. Uh, listen, this is God, okay? This has been all throughout the Scripture. So we know that they saw flames, they heard sounds, and the Spirit rested upon them. They spoke in tongues and prophesied to the crowd with prophetic speech. So by comparing Acts 2 with the Old Testament prophets, we see that God has taken ordinary men and women like ourselves and has empowered and commissioned them to speak His words and do His will. The Holy Spirit only falls on those who are in covenant with them, with the Lord already. The baptism of the Holy Spirit will only come upon those who are already in covenant relationship and indwelled by the Spirit. Now that may sound confusing, but Acts 2, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. That's step one, being in covenant with Christ, right? Knowing Him being baptized, purpose of of being sanctified and discipleship, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Everybody say will. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Anyone who is born again can have the Spirit come upon them. They can be baptized in the Holy Spirit with evidence of speaking in other tongues. We're going to cover that next week. But... I just want to encourage you, as you leave today and you go out throughout your week today, you say, Pastor, are we not having another altar call today? No. I'm building up to something where people are going to be completely educated upon this. They're going to be a complete understanding about this. And here possibly uh, a week after next when I come back, we'll be here and we'll, we'll, we'll give opportunity for people to receive. In the meantime, I want you to make this a matter of prayer. And I want you to seek the Lord. And say, Lord, I, you know, this, this whole thing I'm not sure about, I just want more of you. And pursue Christ, uh, pursue Him. Here's, here's one other thing I want to encourage you with. 
The Spirit of God uses imperfect people. This right here is not perfection. At all. Okay, not even close. Um, people say, Pastor, I, I, you know, I would like to get saved, uh, but I've got to fix this. Or, Pastor, I would love to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but I've got to fix this, and I've got to fix that. There, there have been times where ministers, and probably even myself a time or two in my life, have taught this, this holiness thing that, that tells people you've got to reach a certain level of holiness before the baptism of the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Listen, that's absolutely false, okay? Uh, Pastor, I, you know i got a smoking issue, and when I get my smoking issue, then maybe the Spirit of God will fill me. Listen to me. The Spirit of God has always filled imperfect people. And nobody is ever going to get to a place of worthiness to convince God to fill them. Hear what I'm saying. I am not worthy today to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I am not worthy right now to even be able to speak to you today, but God has chosen me in spite of myself, and He's working on me. Listen, if you have issues, you need the Spirit more now than you did before. Don't let that be some kind of a hindrance. Allow the Spirit of God to do a work in you. Yes, if you've got something, you've got some kind of a bondage, yeah, and you invite the Spirit into your life, and He comes into your life, and you're empowered, yeah, that bondage is probably going to have to go. And He's going to empower you to make it go. Amen? You don't hinder yourself from this. There's scriptural backing. There's Old Testament backing. There's New Testament backing. There's tons and tons and tons more I could share with you than what I have today. But do not let yourself sit back and say, I'm not good enough for this. Because the scripture says it's for all. Everybody. The Lord said, I will pour out my spirit on how much flesh? Part of the flesh, some of the flesh, a little bit of the flesh? All. How many is that? That's all of us. That's every one of us. Yes, even you. The one that sits there and says, not me. Yes, you. All of us. It's available. And it's not some kind of a weird, kooky, crazy thing. And, and, and I know everybody's freaked out by tongues. Listen to me. The purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit isn't done for us to feel superior to people. Is that a word from the Lord or what? Because that's the problem. Pentecostals start feeling superior because we speak in tongues and they don't. We're more scriptural than they are. Quit that. Stop it. The purpose of it is that we would be empowered to be harvesters for the kingdom of God. Speaking in tongues is just simply uh, a sign that we have been empowered to go and be harvesters for the kingdom of God. And we're going to cover that in two weeks. Next week, Jay Covert is going to be here. He is a missionary and uh, he, he does church planning in inner cities. Now you're going to love Jay because Jay does not look like me. Jay, I don't know if he's had a haircut or not. His hair used to be about this long. And uh, Jay, when he went into the ministry, he went uh, straight out of school directly into Washington, D.C., into the roughest area that you could possibly go into to plant churches. Currently, he's in East St. Louis, and he's planted churches all over the place in places where nobody will even want to step foot. He's planted churches and raised people up and established churches there. Jay Covert doesn't look like me. He probably doesn't preach like me. But I can tell you this, if anybody can go into those areas and do what he's done and establish the ministry that he's established, he's probably got something to say to us. I think the Spirit of the Lord is upon him. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So come next week and be ministered to by him. The following week, I'm going to cover tongues 
in its role in our ministry and in, in, in the purpose of everything with this with God, we're going to give opportunity to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The following week, we are going to cover scripturally the activities of the ministry of the Spirit in a church setting and as well as in our personal lives. What is His role in our lives today? What does it look like? What is order? What is out of order? What is right? What is wrong? And, and we won't have enough time to cover all of it, but we'll try to hit the main thing. So that's all I have for us today. Hopefully that's a lot for you to chew on. Take those notes home. Pray about it. Begin to speak to the Lord about it. Search and look those scriptures up about those prophets. It's really interesting. Dig through that kind of stuff and, and make it your study time and just begin to ask the Lord to fill you at home. Some of you probably going to get filled at home. So, Father, we just thank you for this day.